What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Amgen Oncology, advancing oncology at the speed of life. On September 4th, the Washington Post brought together leading oncologists, innovative researchers, and cancer survivors for a live event in Boston, examining the latest developments in cancer treatment, prevention, and detection. Once there is a cancer diagnosis, the challenges that follow can be overwhelming and life-altering. In this segment, Boston Mayor Marty Walsh and Red Sox President and CEO Emeritus Larry Lucchino share their personal stories of surviving cancer. Let's listen. Well, good afternoon. I'm Paige Winfield Cunningham, a health policy reporter at The Washington Post and author of the Health 202 newsletter. And I'm delighted to be joined by Mayor Marty Walsh and Larry Lucchino, President and CEO Emeritus of the Boston Red Sox, two men who really need no introdu introduction here in Boston. Before we begin our conversation, I want to remind our audience that you can tweet your questions for our guests using the hashtag PostLive, and I will be happy to relay them. Mayor Walsh, let's start with you. Um, you were <coughs> Many know you were diagnosed with Burkitt's lymphoma at age seven, um, and I'd love to hear just your personal experience as such a young child, what was that diagnosis like? You know, I, I was diagnosed in 1974. I, I had uh, Burkitt's lymphoma. I, I, you know, before I, we knew what we had, my parents knew what I had, I was tired all the time. Uh, I wasn't active. Uh, I'd come home from school and just lay on the couch. And uh, my mother took me in to, and my father took me to the children's hospital. Um, and, and first time I went there, they sent me home. They thought I might have been appendix. And the next night, I went back in with pain. Uh, they opened, they, they did emergency surgery, they opened me up, and they saw that my, my stomach was loaded with cancer. They closed me up, and they gave my parents a couple options to, one, um, you know, take me to Ireland to see my grandparents and kind of basically say goodbye, or, or try this new form of treatment, which was radiation, not radiation, but chemotherapy uh, and other drugs. And um, I remember it pretty, pretty vividly uh, at the age of seven. You don't know that you have cancer. You don't know that you, you have, you're dying or potentially dying. Um, all you know is that you're a seven-year-old kid and you want to do what other seven-year-old kids did. Uh, although my experience from, from November of 74, literally for almost four years, was a lot of doctor's visits, appointments. I had radiation, I had chemo, I lost all my hair. Um, I had obviously the surgery, just to kind of do exploratory surgery. I had the spinal taps and the bone marrows, all the things that you do as, as a patient. Um, and, and you know, at the time, you don't, I don't think when you're younger, you don't realize what you go through. But as you get older and realize what you experience as a child, it does act, it helps you with like basically defining who you are and, and, and understanding what perseverance is and things like that. Do you remember a particular moment at which your parents told you that you had a really serious illness? You know, um, I think it was when, when the first time I went to the hospital, um, you know, when, when they keep you over the hospital and, and then the treatments, the chemo was tough. Um, back then it was, uh, it was in a bottle um, and it was yellow. Um, and I remember uh, having that and getting very sick after, after the chemo um, and, and starting to lose your hair. 
and understanding that, like, what that's all about and, and just the, the drawing and the blood and things like that that happen as a little kid. You don't, you know, you, you don't, you're not really prepared for that in life. And, and looking, looking at it afterwards, the impact it has on the family. Um, you know, it's, we talk about, you know, cancer can be a family disease, particularly when you have a young child that's sick, and it does affect the whole family. I had one brother, he was uh, at the time uh, four, uh, three and four years old, um, and it just has a big impact on the family. So the doctors initially told you you had six weeks to live, and then what happened? You went through all the treatment. And yeah, they gave us a very little time because, because of the aggression of, of the disease. Um, my mother and father both said... And it's one of the fastest growing, it's known to be the fastest growing growing type of tumor, is that correct? It was, yes, at the time. Time. and at the time the survivor rate was 30%, and today the survivor rate I think is 90, which is incredible. Um, but you know, a lot of the drugs that I had were experimental, I don't have all the names of them, but um, you know, it was really focused on a 22 radiation, 22 days of radiation. Uh, I still have uh, tattoo marks on my chest from lining me up back, they used to line you up with the machine so you'd have the, the dots on there. and. I had 22, 22 treatments there, and, I, and well, I'm assuming that shrunk the tumor, uh, and then radi and then the chemo and all the other drugs that went in and attacked uh, the drugs I had, the, the, the cancer that I had. Um, you know, just going through that. Um, you know, as I said, when you when you're seven and eight, you don't realize it. You don't realize how sick you are. You don't realize that. I mean, no one. My mother and father never said to me that you, you're, 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 you know, you could be dying. I mean, they just had, a, had cancer, and and you know, as as a kid, you're tough about it, and, and you kind of go in there. And um, you know, I, I talk, I told a story the other day. Um, I remember when um, one time Bobby Orr was coming to visit the hospital. And that's, yeah. you know, Larry's going to speak in a few minutes. And the impact that that ball players have, and hockey players and football players have, going to visit kids makes a big impact. And in 1974, Bobby Orr was a big deal in Boston. Uh, he was like the Tom Brady of, of hockey, right, of football. Um, and um, I remember I was in the hospital for about 40 days straight, and I was being let out on this one particular day. And, and of course, you know, they let me out early, and usually I'm happy about going home. And, and uh, Bobby Orr was coming, and, and uh, we waited around a few hours, and my mother finally said, we got to go. Walk into the elevator, hit the button, the door opens, and there he is. And it was just, <laughs> it's just amazing. And you just think about, you know, as a kid with cancer, particularly that age that I had it, um, you don't think about the, the disease. You don't think about the impacts. I mean, you go through what you have, and it's difficult, obviously. Um, and, and the things that, you know, I remember the spinal taps and the bone marrows that we had to do and, and laying there for an hour. It's all changed now, the way a lot of this stuff is done. And, you know, it was tough. It was cruel, probably, in, in terms of, of what, what they do today. But, you know, again, the doctors and nurses at that particular moment were learning about the disease. And, and the fact that I'm grateful, obviously, that I survived and, 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 and lived through it. But I'm also grateful that I was part of, I guess you would say, being experimental on certain things to see that families today can have better treatment, that they don't have to go through it. Uh, you know, I go back to the Dana-Farber a lot now. I love, I love the Dana-Farber in the sense of uh, it saved my life. And, and, you know, there's a woman that works there. Uh, she might have retired last time I went over, and her son died at, children, at, at Children's in, with cancer at the same time I survived. And, you know, so every time I saw her, I thought about her, thought about what she went through and how my parents had, you know, had a whole different experience. Uh, and, and the work that in Boston, I think somebody said on the way in, we're blessed to live in this city. We have great medical institutions between Children's Hospital, which, which I was at yesterday. They built a, they built a bridge over the, over the way to get in there between Children's and Dana-Farber for kids, and you will, and adults. And then we have these other great hospitals, Mass General, Brigham, and other great hospitals in the city. We're really fortunate. 
Larry, you had a similar kind of groom prognosis when you were diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in 1985, and I think uh, you were given a 30% survival rate. Um, can you talk about that time in your life and how you felt when you received your own diagnosis? Yeah, Paige, may I make one, uh, one point first? Both the, ma the mayor and I are, uh, have a lot in common in terms of our experience uh, from one type of lymphoma that he had, another type that I had. There are lots of different types of lymphoma as there are lots of different types of cancer. But uh, we represent uh, long-term survivors, a group that is growing uh, exponentially in, uh, these days. Uh, uh, he's been out uh, 46 years from his, the beginning of his treatment. For me, it's 34 years. We are both long-term survivors, and, uh, and I think the people who are watching should realize that that fraternity, that group of survivors, is growing dramatically. I remember seeing that uh, something that uh, there were three million people in 1975, there are something like 15 million now. In another 10 years, there will be something like 18 or 20 million. So it is growing significantly, and that should tell you some good things about the cancer research and treatment that's going on. But uh, when I was treated, uh, I, I, I was, uh, I'm a superstitious baseball executive. I should have known something was wrong. Uh, and I was diagnosed on Friday the 13th. So uh, uh, I remember that date vividly. I was uh, in, the, in my late 30s. Uh, I was feeling uh, uh, healthy and um, full of energy. Uh, I was uh, working for the, uh, uh, the uh, Baltimore Orioles at the time. And um, uh, there, was all, there was this thing about this nagging cough that wouldn't go away. I just came back from a motorcycle trip in, in Europe, and I kept coughing over there. So I went uh, to see a doctor, and he diagnosed me with uh, B-cell non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I couldn't even spell it at the time, let alone understand what it was. Uh, it was uh, devastating. I was the first of my cohort group to uh, to experience uh, uh, this kind of diagnosis. Uh, like the mayor, I also spent 40 days in treatment. Like the mayor, I had a, a, a bone marrow transplant. Uh, I was uh, the beneficiary of some important uh, experimental th uh, treatments that led to, to uh, my recovery. I had a relapse during the course of my chemotherapy, and uh, I was told that that was a particularly adverse uh, event and that my probabilities of survival had, had shrunk considerably. Well, um, uh, so I, I went on and Dana-Farber, an institution that the mayor spoke of reverentially, and I do too, uh, came up with a younger uh, uh, doctor with a new modality and uh, he applied that to me. It included the bone marrow transplant that I referred to. I was uh, uh, I went in with two good friends, or two friends, I should say, um, at the same time, and I was the only one who survived the treatment. Uh, but uh, what it did do for me is uh, uh, temporarily change my whole perspective and permanently change a part of my perspective uh, in, in ways that I think the mayor could resonate with as well. It, uh, uh, the experience is uh, profound, and if it's so, uh, well delivered by loving people. If you feel a sense of community and, and family support, uh, you're never the same again. What are some of the specific ways your outlook on life was changed? Did you view relationships differently? Did you view your career differently? How, how did you well, think about it? 
it's very hard to articulate it without sounding a little corny, but uh, you do, uh, I didn't want to get back, to, I didn't want to uh, recover and go spend time on a beach and relax and, and sort of enjoy life. I wanted to recover so I could get back to work. I was a, a hard driving, by my lights, uh, 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 working person and I thought uh, I just wanted to get this behind me so I could get, uh, get back to work. But the effect it had on, on my view of friendships, my view of work, I mean, after all, I'm a baseball executive. I work in the toy department of life, and this was something that was much bigger and different and, uh, and more profound than all of that. Well, so, oh, so I was going to say, you have said um, that it takes an all you had an all-star team helping you in your battle with cancer. Who, who was part of that team? Well, I had, a, uh, again, uh, we, uh, we had a family meeting to decide where I should go for treatment. Remember, as I said, I was in Baltimore and uh, in Washington at the time. And there are lots of wonderful options uh, down there. But uh, my family vote was, uh, I think, nine to one. I was the only person who voted to come up to Boston uh, and go to Dana-Farber as opposed to staying in, uh, in Baltimore, Towns Hopkins, or Washington at the NIH. Uh, we didn't count votes in my family. We, we weighed them. And I thought that my vote weighed more than my mother's and my father's and everybody else's vote. And so I came, uh, I came up here to Dana-Farber. Uh, my first contact with Dana-Farber was at 11.30 Friday night. I mentioned that I was diagnosed on Friday. I was put in touch with a man named uh, Emil Tom Fry. He was the physician in chief at Dana-Farber. And uh, 11.30 at night, I, I had the audacity to call him. And, uh, and he talked to me from 11.30 at night until after one in the morning that day. He was in his music room trying to calm down from a tough week of work at the clinic. And uh, uh, I was so impressed at, at his warmth, at his uh, availability, uh, at his concern, his level of empathy, that uh, that was all I needed. Anyway, he was, uh, he was my doctor through the first stage of the process. And the great thing about uh, certain cancer institutions is that they always have a plan B. Uh, when, uh, when, when my uh, uh, chemotherapy did not work, um, they decided that uh, a bone marrow transplant might be desirable. I was like the 30th person, I think, at Dana-Farber who had it. And uh, um, I, I was passed off to a guy who's still a lifelong friend of mine, my, my oncologist at that was a guy named Lee Nadler who still works at Dana-Farber, and, uh, uh, and he gave me the, uh, the uh, uh, bone marrow uh, transplant that um, ultimately, well, I, I thought that was followed up with uh, radiation as well. And I, although I ex thought that I was gonna have a series of relapses along the way, every time I had a cold, I expected that there was something uh, wrong with me. You know that feeling, Mayor, don't you? And, uh, but I've uh, been lucky not to have relapses, and it's been about, 12,000 days, I once counted the days since, uh, since that uh, early treatment. And I've been through a lot in, uh, in baseball. Uh, well, it's been four, four uh, World Series championships uh, since that time. We came up with a good idea for Camden Yards in Baltimore. Just pleasant times on the, uh, on the couch with my, uh, watching uh, television with my wife, or uh, the, the fun of spring. Just my perspective changed on uh, on a lot of little things that I uh, tended not to not to notice. Mayor Walsh, you've talked about how your Catholic faith has affected 
you? How how was it particularly affected by your cancer? Well, I mean, I think what Larry said, a little bit what Larry said, not to sound corny, but you know, when you really think about it after a while, you start to wonder why, you know, why are you the one that was cured? Um, and you know, why why not the, the, the boy next door or the girl or what have you? And, and you have to think that way. And I know that, uh, you know, my mother prayed a lot uh, for when I was sick and, you know, promised if, if I survived, she would take me to Lourdes in France and, and, uh -huh. and St. Anne's in Quebec and, and Knox Shrine in Ireland. And I went to all those places and we had a lot of holy water coming through the Walsh household. Um, <laughs> we still have a lot of holy water through the Walsh household. Uh, but, but I think that, you know, to, to that point, you know, as Larry talks about being a hot charger, I'm a hot charger. I mean, it's like I'm, I'm not sitting back and, like you said, enjoying the beach. And there's, when you think about it, if you, if you look at somebody that, that, that survived, survived cancer, uh, a lot of times that person has a drive afterwards, too. And that drive is to do whatever it is they want to do. They don't just simply have the cancer and, 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 and go into remission and say, oh my God, life is great and relax and retire. It's, it, there's a drive there. And, and I don't know if it's just, that's who we are as, as people. Um, I haven't really put a lot of thought into it. When I was a kid, um, again, when I was 12, 13, 14 years old, I didn't think about it. I mean, I just know that I had to go to the doctor once a year or once every five years at some point. And I think, you know, for the first five years after remission, it was every year and then it was every f two years and then every five years. And, and don't think much about it. Um, Thinking now as I'm older, I think a little more about, you know, if, if I have a cough or something going on, you know, it's a, like a vague thought in the back of the head and you just don't want to. And, and, and for my doctor, I talk to my doctor a lot and he's, you know, the, the side effects of what the, the, the drugs I had when I was a kid, I mean, the side effects. And, you know, he's checking them all out to make sure they're fine, but I'm not worried about that today. Uh, and, and to Larry's point, you know, I, my parents didn't have an opportunity to call Dana Faba. It's just the fact that they, they grew up in Ireland and, and they, they met here and they got married, had two boys, and I got sick in Boston. And they took me to Children's Hospital. Um, and next door to Children's Hospital was the Jimmy Fund. Um, and it was the old, old building then. It was a little corner. It looked like, mm -hmm. a, looked like a health center. And, and, you know, and I went into that building and then they moved across the street. Um, and, and just the fact of, of being placed in this city uh, there was really no decision in our family, and, and they and they treated us amazing, and that's why I think whether it's a mayor or not, from the mayor or not the mayor, uh, you know, I, I want to make sure that Jimmy Fund and Dana Faber and, and Children's and all those other hospitals are successful because there's so many people. I was at Children's yesterday, and and I was just looking at the faces of the parents, and, and I saw the little ones with no hair, and you know, walking around, and the IVs in the arm, and I'm just thinking like the pain that these families are going through, but their kids and their children are in the best place in the world. Well, that's a good segue because, Larry, I wanted to ask you about the Jimmy Fund of which you're chairman. Can you tell us a little bit about the charity and your work there and how you got involved? Well, it, it is the, uh, the, the, I mean this in the finest sense, the people's charity in, in Boston and, and this part of New England. And, uh, and it's spreading its tentacles even wider into, uh, into the rest of the, of the nation. It was started in 1946. Uh, the uh, uh, Red Sox have been uh, part and parcel of the Jimmy Fund for about 67, 68 years, something like that. And uh, uh, it's, uh, it's something that uh, affects everybody in this community. People care about the Jimmy Fund. People care. It's not to say that they don't elsewhere, but it's part of the DNA up here. Maybe it's the good hospitals. Maybe it's the... Uh, proximity of these inspiring stories that we know and hear uh, from from people but the uh, the Jimmy fund is uh, 
treats, it's a, a, a fundraising arm of the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. It was focused primarily on, on pediatric cancer. It's now focused on pediatric and adult cancer. And uh, it is a, uh, it is a, a great institution supported by not just the Red Sox, but all of the uh, sports teams in New England. And uh, we, are, uh, we are fortunate, as the mayor says, to both live in Boston with these hospitals and to live in Boston with the Jimmy Fund that's constantly pushing the envelope, uh, providing new money that creates new ideas, that creates new treatments, that creates new success stories and new survivors. And uh, uh, we, are, uh, we are lucky to have that here, and the Jimmy Fund personifies that. As cancer survivors, are there any uh, do, you, do you watch the developments in oncology and in cancer care, and are there any particular developments that excite you? Well, certainly the decline in uh, death rates of most cancers. We are at a major moment. I, I get to talk to the doctors and the administrators at Dana-Farber a lot because of my position with the Jimmy Fund, and uh, they uh, will, will, will reflect a kind of excitement at where we are in the process, that they've learned more about cancer in the last uh, 10 years than they learned in the previous 200 years. And, uh, and the death rates are going down, the treatment the modalities are, 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 are differing from person to person. There's individual uh, cancer treatments uh, being focused. Uh, there's the, uh, the, the personal immune system that's being uh, uh, armed to treat cancer. Uh, there are just tremendous uh, new developments, and uh, that comes from bright minds, but it also comes from generous people. And, and I'm proof of that in, in the sense of seeing uh, the survival rate up to 90%. In, in the, what I had was predominantly uh, childhood cancer, but um, it's adults have it too. Joanne Drusley, former New England Patriot, had Berkowitz lymphoma, and, and he's in remission today. And I just think that um, you know it's amazing to see uh, you know, whenever I get a chance to go to a Jimmy Fund event, I hear the president, whoever the president is, talk about for the walk, they do the bike ride every year. Um, and just here, they bring up this rare form of cancer every year. They talk about something they're working on and the treatments and the amazing piece of that. Um, let me say one other thing before we end, and I know we got a few minutes, a minute here or two. I want to thank the Post for, uh, for hosting this. I think it's, a, it's important to have conversations around this, and I know that people are watching this, and some, not everyone had the experience that Larry Lucchino and I did uh, with Dana Fabo with it, with, by living. Uh, unfortunately, people lo lose their life in their battle to this disease. Um, and, and the only thing I want to say to those families that are listening that, you know, in some ways, thank you, because your loved one is still, is not a stat. Your loved one is, 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 is an opportunity for doctors to learn from and experience on how do, you, how do you battle back this disease. And if that brings any family any solace, I just want to pass that on to them. There is a kind of uh, circle that one goes through. You may start out as a uh, frightened patient, but the, uh, the ones who are lucky enough to survive tend to round out the circle and stay active as, as the mayor and I have stayed active in, uh, uh, since our, our treatment, our early diagnosis. Well, and your, your birthday is on Friday, your 74th birthday, right, if yeah. I'm right. Did, did Back in 1985, did you think you'd live to see this day? I didn't, actually. I did not. Uh, you know, they, they got a 30% chance of survival 
which they told me was good, and then when I relapsed, of course, it became less. We than never that. would have won the World Series. <laughs> That's <All> right. right. <laughs> <laughs> or Bill Camden Yards would have done a lot of great things. Uh, well, Larry, we can't let you leave without one baseball question. I know it's an uphill climb, but do you think the Red Sox will make the playoffs this year? Um, boy, that's an unfair question. It is. <laughs> I say that only because I don't. I don't. I think that the the hill is probably too high. It's uh, five and a half games with about 24 left, and it's probably a little high, but. Uh, we're here to say that uh, strange and unusual occurrences yeah. do happen. They should have won uh, last night. happen to us, so it's possible. Uh, every game, every game matters. I and mean, here it is in uh, early September, and we're playing meaningful games at Fenway. So uh, that we tend to be spoiled now that we've eliminated the 86-year-old curse of the Bambino, and uh, we want to uh, get to the postseason every year. But playing meaningful games in September is, I think, a real compliment to the uh, players and to the organization. Well, unfortunately, that's all the, all the time we have this afternoon. Mayor Marty Walsh and Larry Lucchino, thank you so much for sharing your remarkable stories with us. Please stay seated for the next portion of our program, and I'll be back with you after this short video. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.